Welcome to Success Decoded, a new series about the remarkably successful, the entrepreneurs, the ultra-achievers, the game-changers. I'm your host, Hassan Kuba, and I share with you their stories, attempt to decode the factors that made them successful, and what practical lessons we can learn from them to find our own success. Success Decoded is a super in-depth podcast and article series based on the Unfair Advantage book, which I co-authored with startup veteran Ash Ali. This episode, episode one, is about the ultra outlier, the man who has completely baffled the rest of humanity with his seemingly superhuman accomplishments. The alien, the robot, the genius that is Elon Musk. Okay, I know that sounds a bit over the top, but I wasn't a huge, huge Elon fan before I started researching him. You know, I had nothing against him. I thought what he was doing with Tesla was cool. But having researched him, I can now say that the phrase visionary genius wouldn't be inaccurate. Elon is a self-made billionaire founder and CEO of SpaceX, co-founder and CEO of Tesla, founder of The Boring Company, co-founder of Neuralink, OpenAI and SolarCity, in addition to conceptualizing Hyperloop and Starlink, and also to founding his own school for his children, Ad Astra. Before this, he was also one of the founders of early fintech behemoth PayPal. Plus, he'd become a self-made multimillionaire even before that. He is now one of the top 20 richest people in the world, with a rabid fanbase and also a very sizable hater base as well, which isn't surprising with all the industries he's disrupting. He is one of the most successful, provocative and memeable people in tech. With his achievements so vast, innovation so mind-blowing, and ability to prove the naysayers wrong so relentless, he's often accused, half-jokingly, of being an alien or robot. But assuming he is a mere mortal, how on earth did Elon Musk become Elon Musk? What was his background? What was his upbringing like? What role? if any, did luck play in his success? Is there anything we can learn from him? Or is he just a one in a billion outlier? Like a superhero? I mean, he actually was the inspiration for Robert Downey Jr's Iron Man. Find out how, after becoming a hundred millionaire in his twenties, his life went downhill so badly that he was broke. So broke, he had to borrow money to pay for rent back in 2008. How was he able to crawl back up from the brink, from the edge of the abyss to his now meteoric rise to the top, in the process of disrupting multiple legacy trillion dollar industries? Here's what's coming up this series. Part 1 is the making of Elon Musk, from unhappy childhood to dot-com millionaire. This is the episode you're listening to. Part 2 is Elon the Disruptor. PayPal, SpaceX, and Tesla, from the brink of bankruptcy to billionaire. And part three is decoding Elon's success, the lessons we can learn, and unfair advantages that he had. Let's dive in. Part one, the making of Elon Musk. Chapter 1. The Boy Who Changed the World Elon Reeve Musk was born in Pretoria, South Africa on the 28th of June 1971 to Errol Musk, 
an electromechanical engineer, and May Musk, a model and dietitian. Elon was a gifted child who buried himself in books for hours on end from a very young age. He had an extraordinary ability to spit out facts and figures perfectly like a computer. He was a classic know-it-all. His mother May recounts how she'd overhear five-year-old Elon telling another child who was afraid of the dark that darkness is just the absence of photons in the visible wavelength, between 400 to 700 nanometers. Yes, he really was that nerdy. If anybody had any questions in the family, they'd say, ask genius boy. His parents were worried about him, however, as it was difficult to get his attention and he was often unresponsive when they called his name. They suspected hearing issues and were so concerned they had his adenoids removed on their doctor's recommendation in the hope that it would improve his hearing. But it was to no avail, as it turned out that his hearing was completely fine. It was just that he would often be lost so deep in thought as to be in a trance-like state. Elon grew up well off. His father Errol was a very successful engineer and Elon grew up in one of the largest houses in Pretoria. His parents sent him to a private preparatory school, they had plenty of domestic help and they would travel abroad quite frequently. He particularly loved his trips to America, where there were arcades at every hotel they stayed at. He was completely taken by them. This was the late 70s and they weren't common in South Africa at the time, so when he was back home and saw a computer, a Commodore VIC-20, in stores and actually available to buy, he absolutely had to have one. He was excited to be able to create games himself, just like the ones he played on arcade machines. The VIC-20 came with a workbook, which was designed to teach BASIC, the programming language, to adults over the course of six months. When Elon got his, aged nine, he describes how he just got super OCD on it and stayed up for three days with no sleep and did the entire thing. It seemed like the most super compelling thing he had ever seen. A few years later, aged 12, he sold the rights to one of the games he'd created, Blaster, a space shooting game for $500. He then invested this $500 into a pharmaceutical stock he'd been tracking in the newspaper and soon made a few thousand dollars in profit. But despite these remarkable early achievements and good fortune to grow up white and wealthy in apartheid South Africa, Elon's childhood was far from idyllic. He describes his time at school as hell. As the shortest, smallest and smartest kid in the class, he was relentlessly bullied until the age of 15. Gangs would hunt me down, literally hunt me down, Elon recalled, his eyes shining with tears at the memory. In one particularly appalling incident, a gang of boys threw him down a flight of stairs and proceeded to beat him unconscious, an attack so vicious he spent a week in hospital. His face was so swollen and bloodied that his father didn't even recognise him at first. The bullies were so cruel they'd even beat up Elon's best friend to stop him from hanging out with Elon. They were a bunch of effing psychos, he said. His misery didn't end at school, unfortunately. Home wasn't a happy place for him either. Elon's father, Errol Musk, had long been abusive and manipulative. May, Elon's mother, describes his abuse in her autobiography. I remember that Tosca and Kimball, who were two and four respectively, would cry in the corner and Elon, who was five, would hit him on the backs of his knees to try to stop him, she wrote. They don't divulge much on the nature of the abuse, only to bluntly call him evil. To escape the relentless bullying at school, the ongoing abuse from his father and the subsequent breakdown of his parents' marriage, Elon took refuge in books. He was a classic nerd, loving sci-fi, fantasy and comic books in particular. 
When given the chance, he literally read from when he woke up till he went to sleep, with very few friends to speak of, and with his parents' hands-off, child-rearing approach. He spent every single day after school by himself, sitting in the aisles of bookshops and libraries, reading. He read every single book he could get his hands on, even getting chased away regularly at the bookshop for spending hours there reading comics without buying them. These books had an enormous impact on his worldview. He was heavily influenced by Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. The latter instilled in him the idea that you should try to take the set of actions that are likely to prolong civilization, minimize the probability of a dark age, and reduce the length of a dark age if there is one. This became his lifelong philosophy and mission. Elon was always a loner, with very few friends to speak of. Other children would find him unrelatable, and his know-it-all nature didn't help. He did however spend a lot of time with his younger brother and cousins, with whom he was the ringleader. They went on all sorts of adventures, including making homemade rockets and explosives, and selling easter eggs door-to-door -door in their wealthy neighbourhood for a very marked-up price. When he was around 15 years old, they even decided to start an arcade. They managed to do everything from finding a location, negotiating a lease, and even speaking to arcade machine suppliers. The only thing that stopped them was when they needed the signature of an adult, and to their dismay, none of their parents obliged. During this time, Elon had taken up martial arts to fight back against his bullies, plus he finally had his growth spurt. So the bullying at school stopped, but unfortunately the bullying at home from his father kept him miserable. He yearned to escape. Not only was he miserable living with his dad, he was also due for compulsory military service, something he didn't want to take part in during South Africa's apartheid regime. He yearned for the land of opportunity, where his favourite comic book superheroes were based, and where most cutting-edge scientific discoveries and technologies seemed to be coming from. He wanted to get to the United States. He wanted to get to Silicon Valley. His parents tried to talk him out of it. His father belittled him. He said rather contentiously that I'd be back in three months, that I'm never going to make it, that I'm never going to make anything of myself. He called me an idiot all the time. That's the tip of the iceberg, by the way, said Elon. Luck was on Elon's side, however, as there was a change in the law that had just come about which allowed Elon's mother, May, to pass her Canadian citizenship to her children. Elon immediately began researching how to complete the paperwork for this process. He got his Canadian citizenship and left for Canada, one step closer to the United States and Silicon Valley. Chapter 2 Elon's Adventure Years Elon arrived in Montreal at 17 years old with nothing but a rucksack, a suitcase full of books and $2,000. He had vague plans to stay with his great uncle there, but discovered once he arrived that he'd moved to the States. Instead, Elon bought a bus ticket that took him across the vast expanse of Canada, with the aim of meeting up with relatives of his mother scattered across the country. After almost a 2,000 mile journey, he arrived in rural Saskatchewan in Swift Current, a tiny town out in the middle of nowhere, where he had a second cousin. He called him up out of the blue, and stayed at their farm working manual labour jobs. He proceeded to spend the year showing up unannounced on the doorsteps of distant Canadian relatives and doing stints on farms, tending vegetable patches and shoveling grain. Elon didn't mind getting his hands dirty doing blue collar work. He learned to cut logs with a chainsaw further west in Vancouver, and even cleaned out the boiler room in a lumber mill. 
a particularly brutal job which involved wearing a hazmat suit, crawling through small spaces and shoveling residue in extremely high temperatures. Clearly Elon didn't shy away from really hard work. Just as a side note, funnily enough this roaming around Canada was very similar to what his grandfather, Joshua Holderman, did. In part 3 we'll discuss his grandfather more, an exceptional man who was Elon's biggest role model. Elon's mother May, sister Tosca and brother Kimball soon joined him in Canada. Money was very tight so they all lived together in a one bedroom rent controlled apartment in Toronto. Elon and Kimball took turns sleeping on the couch while May and Tosca took the bedroom. They had to scrimp and save to buy $5 sheets, then eventually they bought beds, then a computer and after that chairs. You can always work on the floor, May said. She even cut their hair herself. It's an interesting insight into how financially disadvantaged they became after coming from a very privileged background. Elon soon enrolled at Queen's University in Ontario because he believed the girls there were hotter than at the University of Waterloo. He was still very much an introvert and was doing well academically despite going to the least number of classes possible. To pay his way through college, he built and sold computer parts and full PCs out of his dorm room and spent a lot of time alone playing video games. However, he was doing much better socially now compared to school and had improved at not being such a grating know-it-all. He built a social circle of similarly geeky friends, he took business classes and entered public speaking contests. He started to come out of his shell a little. Although he was socially awkward, he was still a go-getter. He and his brother Kimball used to look through the newspaper to find somebody interesting they'd like to meet, and they'd actually call them out of the blue to try to arrange a meeting with them over lunch. Among those they called were the head of marketing for the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team, a business writer for the Globe and Mail, and a top executive at the Bank of Nova Scotia. They had some success with this ballsy, proactive approach, with it leading to a summer internship at the bank, and the bank executive becoming Elon's trusted advisor and mentor. He also got into an on-off relationship with a fellow student, Justine Wilson, who after not being interested at first, finally relented to his persistent yet charming approach. Bit by bit, he won me over, she said. When Elon set his sights on something, or someone, he usually got what he wanted. In 1992, having spent two years at Queen's University, he got a full scholarship to the prestigious University of Pennsylvania to study physics, and impressively did a dual degree with economics at the Wharton School of Business. He believed that an Ivy League education would open up doors for him, and more importantly, transferring there allowed him to finally get to the United States. The scholarship didn't cover his living expenses however, so again he relied on his entrepreneurial streak. Elon and his roommate Adio Resi rented out their big house for parties on weekends, turning it into an unofficial nightclub. Not being much of a drinker, Elon was focused on making it work well as a business, which it did as they'd make more than enough to cover an entire month's rent in just one night. Elon liked college a lot more than school. He was able to find other nerds and people passionate about the future and technology. Plus, he was still in the habit of reading a lot of books and thinking incredibly deeply, similar to what he did when he was a child. During this time of reading, discussion and deep thinking in college, Elon synthesized a personal hypothesis of what areas are most likely to affect the future of humanity. Seeing as he was heavily influenced by comic books and science fiction, what drove his career choices wasn't just good money or a comfortable lifestyle. It was the grandiose vision to change the world, save humanity and lower the chances of a dark age. He decided on the following five areas. 1. The Internet 
2. Sustainable energy. 3. Space exploration. 4. Artificial intelligence. 5. Human genetic engineering. He decided initially to focus on number 2, sustainable energy, and specifically with the electrification of cars, which he considered the obvious direction the automotive industry was headed in. So he started a summer internship at an energy storage startup in Silicon Valley. He wanted to see if there would be a breakthrough in ultracapacitors for energy storage in cars. So there he was, he finally got to Silicon Valley, his dream destination since high school. But one internship wasn't enough for Elon, and in the evenings he would start a second full-time internship at a company with a strangely foreshadowing name, Rocket Science, which was actually a video games company. The geeky, hard-working culture of Silicon Valley suited Elon as he worked his two full-time internships at the same time, with absolutely no semblance of a life outside work, nor of getting enough sleep. He'd finish a full day working on a revolutionary new way of storing energy for cars, then turn up at 5pm for his second job, working on computer games. He loved the culture and the work, and decided to come back to Silicon Valley after graduation to do a PhD at Stanford in Physics and Materials Science. He wanted to further pursue sustainable energy, number two on his five areas to change the course of humanity. However, something changed in the summer of 1995, which caused Elon to drop out of his PhD just two days in. Chapter 3 How Elon Became a Millionaire The Rise of Elon Musk that summer, 24-year-old Elon Musk watched a scrappy internet startup called Netscape, founded by Mark Andreessen, a kid younger than himself, quintuple in value the day it IPO'd. It just became clear that the internet was going to change the world in a major way, whereas the capacitor stuff might bear fruit or it might not, Elon said. The internet was not going to wait, so he decided to switch to pursuing item number one on his five areas to change the course of humanity list the internet. Elon had applied for a job at Netscape, even before their IPO, but lacking a computer science degree, he didn't even get a reply. Undeterred, he decided to turn up at their offices one day with his resume in hand. It didn't work out. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing, I was just sort of standing there in their lobby, trying to see if there's someone I could talk to. I was too scared to talk to anyone, so then I left. So once the semester started and after only two days on campus, Elon dropped out of Stanford. He decided to put his PhD on deferment with the plan to launch a startup and hopefully ride this internet wave. He only had $2,000 in the bank, an old car, a computer and no friends in their Bay Area. But he did have one thing, an insight. During one of his summer internships, a salesman from the Yellow Pages had tried to sell the idea of an online listing as a supplement to the regular, physical Yellow Pages listing. Elon noticed that the salesman struggled with his pitch, as he didn't actually understand what the internet was or how someone would be able to find a business on it. Remember this was the very early days of the internet, when people used to look up businesses on a big fat yellow book called the Yellow Pages, which was basically a directory where you could find phone numbers for businesses and their addresses and names. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Maybe this is something we can do, he told his brother Kimball. They had spent the previous summer on a road trip across America discussing startup ideas to harness this new internet thing. 
The insight this salesman had given Elon was the impetus to launch an internet company. And in terms of timing, it was now or never, as he was one of the very few with the coding expertise to maybe pull it off. Elon poured his energy into this simple startup idea, which we can now look back on as a combination of Yelp and Google Maps. But way before either of these two companies existed, he convinced his brother Kimball to come down from Canada to join him. Their startup idea was about getting local businesses from restaurants to clothing boutiques to hairdressers onto an online internet directory with the feature of turn-by-turn directions so customers could find their stores. Elon cobbled the first version of the product together using two resources. A business directory he bought on CD-ROM for only a few hundred dollars, plus mapping software, which a company called Navtech had spent hundreds of millions of dollars developing, which against all odds, they managed to get for free. Shows what you can get if you just ask for it, said Kimball later. Elon wrote some code to merge the two databases together to get a rudimentary system up and running. Now they had their proof of concept. They rented a small office with a leaky roof for $400 a month. They repaired the ceiling, bought a sofa bed, a futon, and replaced the carpet. They didn't have enough money to afford the rent on both an office and an apartment, so they simply lived there for the first three months. We more or less squatted in the office, as the landlord was out of the country and nobody was using it, said Elon. They showered at the local YMCA and unable to afford a high-speed internet connection, Elon ran the website on their one computer using a dial-up modem. I'd program it in the night and turn the server on during the day, he said. When the website wasn't working, it was because I was compiling code. Elon was in charge of the technology, the product, and Kimball, the more extroverted brother, focused on sales and networking with investors. This is when you saw the sheer ferocity of Elon's work ethic. He literally coded from the moment he woke up to the moment he fell asleep. He'd sleep on a beanbag next to his desk, and he asked early employees to wake him up with a gentle kick when they arrived in the morning. He'd get up from the beanbag and sit down at his computer and immediately get back to work. He never seemed to leave that little office at all. One of the ideas they had in terms of commercializing it quickly was to partner up with the company that owned the Yellow Pages to take their publication online. But after a number of rejections and an extremely arrogant reaction from them, one executive even throwing a big Yellow Pages at them and yelling, do you think you can replace this? They gave up on the idea. Instead, they decided to sell direct. Kimball literally went door to door at local businesses to get customers. But even with all his charm, getting sales was extremely tough. They were getting rejected by every business they'd approach. These business owners didn't understand what the internet was and why they'd even consider spending money to have a boosted presence there. What made it worse is that Kimball was actually there illegally. His visa had expired and Elon was running against the clock on his student work visa as well. They were living this crazy life, driving a rundown old car that soon fell apart. I mean, the wheel literally came off in the middle of the road. Eating endless fast food and cheap pasta dishes they'd cook in the office, while getting rejected by customers left, right and centre. What helped them through this tough time was Kimball's positivity and Elon's ability to continuously and aggressively keep improving the product. It went from a very rough proof of concept to an actual working product that the salespeople could actually demo to prospective clients, what's known as an MVP, a minimum viable product. Kimball said the following in a tweet. I nearly fell off my chair the first time I saw the coding results of my bro. 
door-to-door -door directions to anywhere in the Bay Area, and a live map built in Java that you could manipulate with your mouse. It was truly incredible. Just had to wait 60 seconds for each request. Their relentless efforts eventually started getting them customers, and this traction, along with the halo effect from Netscape's successful IPO, got them attention. Investors started hearing about these two young South African brothers who were creating a yellow pages for the internet. This is when they actually started to get somewhere with the fundraising. Much earlier, they tried to speak to VCs, venture capitalists, but even most of them had never used the internet. Although he wasn't a great speaker, he was very rough around the edges. His grit and perseverance shone through. This is when the public speaking contest Elon took in college must have come in handy. Investors loved his intensity. He was preparing to stake everything on the success of this startup. He actually said to one VC, My mentality is that of a samurai. I would rather commit seppuku than fail. Seppuku, by the way, is a gruesome ritual suicide that samurai used to perform when they felt they had brought shame to themselves. They managed to raise a very impressive $3 million from venture capital firm Moore Davidow Ventures in early 1996. They gave up 60% of their equity, but were happy to because suddenly they weren't in trouble anymore. Here's what Kimball had to say. We had to break the news to them that we took the bus to get to their offices. We don't have a car, we don't have an apartment, and we were illegal. The VCs gave them a salary so they could rent an apartment. Elon got a Jaguar E-Type, while Kimball got a new BMW 3 Series. And most importantly, Kimball got a visa through the company and so wasn't in America illegally anymore. They were saved. Their mum took them out to dinner at the nicest restaurant in Palo Alto to celebrate. This is the last time you see my credit card, she said, as she'd been helping them out with expenses and even invested $10,000 of her own money into their business. They were now able to move into bigger, plusher offices. They had built the best directory and direction systems on the internet, but now they'd raised this funding, they expanded their scope from San Francisco Bay Area to the whole of the United States. They also pivoted to selling software packages to newspapers, who had been very slow to react to the threat that the internet had to their business model of classifieds. By buying these packages, they could immediately get to work building their online directories, rather than having to develop the software for themselves from scratch. Unfortunately, the venture capitalists also pushed Elon out of the CEO position and demoted him to only CTO, Chief Technology Officer. This was typical for what VCs would do at the time, and is quite common even today, the idea being that the founder is not thought to be skilled or experienced enough to scale the company. While Elon initially agreed, he came to resent losing operational control. As a boss, Elon was not exactly pleasant to work for. His incredible book smarts and IQ clashed with his lack of emotional intelligence as he often berated staff and created a bad atmosphere with his condescension and intensity. He often saw everyone's actions and decisions as simply stupid, coupled with the fact that he always set incredibly overambitious deadlines and was very confrontational. He even clashed with his brother sometimes, leading to a few actual fistfights, and often made employees feel like crap. While never expecting more from his team than he put in himself, nobody could match his seemingly superhuman work ethic. Side note, he once told a girl when he was in college that he wished he didn't have to eat. If there was a way that I could not eat so I could work more, I would not eat. I wish there was a way to get nutrients without sitting down for a meal. 
He did, however, slightly improve as a leader. During the Zip2 days, he says he noticed that his brash and abrasive management style wasn't working very well, so decided to soften up. His main concern wasn't hurting people's feelings though. Instead, it was purely based on productivity, and he realized that low morale led to low output from his staff. He started to consciously try to hold back on his strong urge to criticize others. Selling to newspapers was going extremely well. The timing was perfect as Craigslist had just launched as a web platform that year, so they could hoover up as many desperate newspapers as possible. They managed to land the New York Times, Hearst Corporation, Knight Ridder, and many other media properties. They didn't only become customers actually, they became investors as well and took board seats and ended up exerting a lot of influence. This influx of cash allowed Zip2 to grow at a very fast rate. In 1997 they moved into even nicer offices. However, more competitors were now entering the space. City Search, their main competitor, had strong sales and marketing teams and an extensive set of directories in cities all around the country. The decision was made to merge instead of continue competing, but this merger failed, leading to some bad PR. Elon urged the board to fire the CEO and reinstate him. They did fire the CEO, but not only did they not reinstate him, they actually took away his chairman position as well so it backfired. With the busted merger, Zip2 was now in a bad position because they were losing money fast. Elon had been frustrated with the outsized influence of the newspaper companies and VCs who had board seats and were taking an extremely conservative approach. He'd been wanting to take the product directly to consumers for some time, but they wanted to stick with their B2B approach. But Zip2 had amazing technology which wasn't being deployed correctly. Only a small fraction of the potential of the tech was being harnessed. Worse news was coming in. Microsoft, the absolute behemoth of the time, was entering the fray to compete with Zip2 as well. The chances of failure was getting very high. The engineers started to get nervous, fearing that they would not be able to keep up with all these competitors. In early 1999, less than four years after they set up the company, and just as the situation seemed most dire for Zip2, computer maker Compaq suddenly offered to snap up the company for $307 million in cash. Elon and Kimball were instant multi-millionaires, with $22 million for Elon and $15 million for Kimball. Elon was just 28 years old, and unlike other young Silicon Valley dot-com millionaires, he didn't decide to move to an island, put his feet up, semi-retiring and maybe dabbling in some angel investing. Instead, Elon wasted no time at all in jumping into a completely new startup idea, in a new industry, one that would disrupt finance and payments and would reverberate in its influence for decades to come. He didn't completely forego a bit of self-indulgence though. He set aside a cool $1 million to get a limited edition McLaren F1, a car capable of 240 miles an hour. A film crew actually captured him receiving it, in a now infamous interview, where he talks about his next venture. He proceeded to use this car, unbelievably, as his daily driver, and just a year later wrecked it completely when showing off to a business partner. Find out in part 2 how Elon got into rockets and electric cars, and how he became so broke at one point, he had to borrow money for rent. All that plus how he wrecked the McLaren 
in part two of Elon Musk Success Decoded. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please do go ahead and share it with your friends and on social media. Tag me at Startup Hassan. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please feel free to reach out to me. I read every message I get and try to reply to every single one. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. And if you can leave a review on that app, that would be amazing. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time on Success Decoded.